0: It's early on a Saturday morning, so you know what that means. Grinders, once again, it is our time. This is a special Saturday edition of the Sunday Morning Grind. Josh Taylor, Greg Finley. We had to get in it on a Saturday because we got some stuff happening that we wanted to talk about during this show. We wanted to make sure we got to it as it was happening, or at least before it happened, before it was too late. Episode number 19, Greg, and I thought you came up with a pretty good, pretty good uh, title for this one. The Bo Bennett episode. The Bo Bennett episode. Fantastic. I can't come up with a better example. The only thoughts I had in my mind were either Juju, which would have been way too polarizing, or Colin Moran, which wouldn't have been bad, but Bo Bennett's just better. I like
1: like going with past players
0: whenever we name our episodes. Yeah, it's more fun that way. Yeah, And it makes people think, oh man, I forgot about him. (laughs) So yeah, the Bo Bennett episode, I thought that was perfect. It was either that or I was going to go all the way to, like, Johnny Unitas. And I didn't want to have to go that far, even though he's a Western PA dude. But still, I I thought this worked. The Bo Bennett episode. So, even though we're not talking about any hockey, but that's okay. We'll get to a bunch of stuff here. We're going to talk some baseball. Really interesting situation um, in Major League Baseball that we got to talk about. Both with the draft in and of itself, and then some of the things that are happening in the news recently. We'll get into all that, and some of those things we'll cover during our favorite news headline game, Is This a Thing? Plus, we're talking NBA playoffs. But before we get to that, Greg, I'm going to give you this space because I feel like you need a little bit of room to just get some things out. I want to say this is the third time this season that Jacob deGrom has left during a start with Mm -hmm. some kind of apparent issue, but now the Mets say it's not an issue. It is the third time, right?
1: It's the third time he's left. He missed a start because of another issue, so it's probably the fourth issue he has had this year.
0: For the record, everybody, um, Greg is a Mets fan, in case you weren't aware of that. So, Jacob DeGrom being injured or possibly being injured four times in the season now is pretty much the equivalent of, like, four heart attacks for him. So, Greg, as you were.
1: (laughs) Okay, I'll try to make this as fast as I can. So, basically... DeGrom has gotten hurt multiple times now after going out and shoving. He struck out eight of nine batters, seven in a row, in his last start against the Cubs. He also had an RBI single. He has batted in more runs than he's given up runs this season.
0: Which is insane in and of itself.
1: Correct. I think only like Shohei Otani probably has better better RBIs to runs given up.
0: And he is also insane in and of himself. Mm-hmm.
1: But he also plays every day. True. DeGrom plays every fifth day. So anyway, so DeGrom's out there shoving. I'm texting you. I'm like, dude, DeGrom, he's back. Let's go. Like, he doesn't even look like he's hurt. And I just I just hear the Mets announcers, they go, something's going on with him. And it was after he struck out Sogard. He He had some kind of reaction where something wasn't right. But then he still struck out the next two guys. What, 99-mile-an-hour fastball and a 92-mile-an-hour slider? So I'm like, is something actually wrong? And then he went to the dugout, and then he went to the clubhouse. And they're like, okay, DeGrom's in the clubhouse. He didn't talk to anybody. He just left.
0: I got the text from you saying, he's going into the clubhouse. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm like, (laughs) oh, boy. Here we go.
1: And then I hear Sean Reed Foley's up in the bullpen. I'm like, this is happening again. My problem is, this happened before, and they said, Nothing's wrong with him. They gave him an MRI. They said he had um tendonitis, but they said that he could still pitch. So I'm thinking, okay, he's got tendonitis. And of course if you Google that it says he needs surgery, but it depends on what kind of tendinitis you have. And I guess he didn't have the one where you need surgery. It was just a mild case of it. So I'm like, all right, cool, deGrom uh, he avoided surgery. Great. They go, he's going to make his next start. I'm like, awesome, I'm excited. So he goes out and pitches, gets hurt again. I'm like, okay, this has to be the last straw. He has to have surgery now. This is the third time that he's left the start before the fifth inning, and he didn't get shelled in any of them. And he talks to the media. He's like, yeah, I'm getting really tired of this. I felt fine after the first two innings and the third inning. I didn't feel, I didn't feel great, so I thought I'd tell somebody, and then we decided I should come out of the game. But hopefully, it's nothing and then he gets another MRI, and it's legitimately nothing. So I'm just trying to figure out, is DeGrom having head games where, because he's throwing 100 mile an hour, and before he was throwing 98, he's, he's added some velocity, it's hurting him, and he thinks, I have to be hurt because it hurts. I mean, he's going to be 33 this year. He's getting to that point where your arm's going to hurt whenever you're throwing 100 mile an hour. But at the same time, they can't keep playing this game. I've heard multiple people on uh, WFAN, the Mets uh, radio network with Howie Rose, say, look, they can't keep playing this game where they just push it to the side and say, well, as long as he's okay and nothing's coming back from the MRI, we'll just throw him back out there again because it's just going to keep happening. And I also am worried that it could be from swinging a bat and he's their, one of their best hitters on this team. So there are multiple problems here. Also, the fact that they have three doubleheaders in the next seven days, Ooh. starting today, Yikes! starting uh, at 1 o'clock here on Saturday, they play a doubleheader, and then they play again at 5 against the Nationals, and then they play a doubleheader Monday, and they play a doubleheader on Friday next week. So they need pitching. They're going to need him. But they also need him to be healthy. And if I'm the Mets,
0: I am resting him for at least a week. Thank you. I had the the thought process, and you you had been talking about this before, maybe about um, maybe something had happened while he was hitting, and then we stumbled across a tweet that I forget which writer it was Ken Rosenthal. It was it Ken Rosenthal? Where, here it is, he said, Jacob DeGrom has, ha- has said at least one of his recent physical issues resulted from a swing. Freddie Freeman, in a text exchange with DeGrom that began last night, said he told his friend, quote, I know you're getting a hit or an RBI every time up, but baseball needs you every fifth day, end quote. So long-time baseball writer Ken Rosenthal tweeted that. And I sent that to you immediately. I'm like, there's your theory confirmed, and you've been worried about this for a while, too. It worries me, too, because...
1: I don't want to watch DeGrom take three strikes down the middle. He can hit. He's actually a hitter. But at the same time, I don't want him to be hurt. I'd rather him pitch than hit. So am I biting a bullet here by saying that? Probably. But another thing would solve this whole thing, and that's a universal DH. And I think this just pushes the fact even harder at Rob Manfred. Like, hey, we shouldn't have pitchers hitting anymore. And that's a shame because I would much rather watch DeGrom hit than a DH whenever he's playing. But at the same time, he can't be hurt.
0: I try to remind people that there was a time when quarterbacks in the NFL actually ran the ball with some regularity. Like way, way long, long time ago. Mm -hmm. Then quarterbacks started to throw the football a little bit more. Then throwing the ball became pretty much the primary job of the quarterback. To the point where people don't like quarterbacks running now. Because they say it's too much of an injury risk, or they can get hurt, or you know something can happen while they're running, or even in the pocket. It's funny how we can do that with quarterbacks running with the football, but we can't do that with pitchers, who are who have no other job but to throw a baseball. But them swinging and running the bases and sliding and potentially getting hurt—no, that, that's that's something you keep going. Now, you and I have had this discussion about the DH quite a bit. There are many, many reasons why I believe the DH should be universal. The most basic one is being so the two leagues in this actual organization are uniform. If for no other reason have both sides of your actual entire professional league, have all of Major League Baseball, have both sides of this this particular entity play a universal similar game. So everything is uniform. And they refuse to do that. They've refused to do it for almost 40 years. And I think it's the stupidest thing in the world. Actually, it's been more than forty years, if I remember correctly. But it just—it's actually been almost fifty years. It, I just think it's ridiculous. But the counter to your argument, and this is something I will bring up because this was just introduced—I should say announced—recently. If you introduce an, a universal DH, it removes the possibility of having Shohei Ohtani doing what he's doing. And I'm a huge Shohei Ohtani guy. And he just announced, or I should say, it was recently announced that he's entering the Home Run Derby, which I love. As a by
1: pitcher, the way. by the way. <laughs> as
0: a pitcher entering the Home Run Derby, I love this. Now, granted, the Home Run Derby, I think people have really just looked at it as such a terrible thing for hitters because we've seen some hitters get into it, they enter the Home Run Derby, and then after that, their swing is so messed up or altered for a period of time. So Shohei Otani, being a pitcher who has 19 home runs, is third in MLB as of last night. Him being in the home run derby, I think that's exciting because he's an exciting player. He's fun to watch. He hits a lot of home runs. And he does it with a swing that a lot of people wouldn't expect him to hit a lot, a lot of home runs with. If you've watched Shohei Otani's swing, it has some similarities to Ichiro's swing. And people would tell you Ichiro could put it out of the ballpark if he wanted to in batting practice. He actually made it look quite easy. So if that's what we're talking about here, not that I'm saying the Shohei Otani and, and Ichiro are the same kind of hitter, but what I am saying is if there's even a slight similarity with how these guys can swing a bat and the ability to place a ball, don't you want Otani in the home run derby just to see what could happen?
1: Oh, I think it'll be very fun, Otani in the Home Run Derby. Everybody already loves the guy. He's yes. been he's been the number 1 story in baseball. He's going to make a case for the MVP. As he should. It's either him or um, Vlad, Guerrero Vlad Guerrero Jr. Guerrero Jr.
0: But Otani has 19 home runs. That's third in MLB. His ERA is 2.7. I want to say he's got 70-plus strikeouts and like 50-some-odd innings. Or I think it's like 74 strikeouts and 50, 53 innings throwing he's had 10 starts he's done everything you can possibly want a guy to uh, possibly want a guy to do to be an MVP candidate the only thing that probably stands out is that the Angels record probably does not reflect it and for some odd reason MVP voting now in leagues is based on their team's win-loss percentage which I think is kind of stupid because you shouldn't hold an individual player responsible for the what the rest of their team did
1: but Mike Trout has won it before and they haven't been good
0: that's the one thing that's going that, that they've got going for him is my but Mike Trout's also been so good that you couldn't ignore him. Like,
1: <laughs> I don't think you can ignore Otani if he keeps this up. You really can't. As a and two-way player in the American League? I mean, we've never seen something like this.
0: Especially with how good he's been as a pitcher. It's not like he's like some average run running the mill pitcher. He's ERA's below three. He's striking out more than a guy an in inning. You know, he's, he started 10 games. He's only won three of them. He's got a 3-1 record in 10 games, but...
1: And this was after he was miserable two years ago, couldn't throw a strike, had yeah. an ERA of sixteen plus. And I was texting you saying, "Dude, why is Otani still trying to make it work as a pitcher? He's a great hitter. Just call it a day." But I'm eating crow because he's doing both.
0: <laughs> there is something to be said for a guy who can throw a hundred plus and hit a ball just like an insane, insane distance, like four hundred, fifty five hundred feet. There's something to be said about that. Shohei Otani is that guy, and as long as he's doing those things. Striking batters out, throwing gas, and just crushing home runs. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to enjoy it, and I will be very, very happy.
1: He's also a good dude. Accidentally threw up and in at Miguel Cabrera uh, on Thursday, and you could just tell that he like felt really bad about it. Yeah. He didn't hit him in the head. Cabrera got his arm up. But then uh, Otani got a hit later on, and Cabrera went to fake punch him, and they were just goofing around. So. Yeah. Let let the boys be boys and have some fun. It was a good moment,
0: and I think that's something that we should probably take more of a lesson from, because there are times when pitchers don't intend to to hit hitters, and I think that was the outcome that you want. Because clearly, Otani made it known that hey, that was not on purpose. Clearly, Cabrera didn't take it personally. You don't have to go through a bunch of you know fake machismo and beanball wars and stupid stuff. You can actually you know settle things like. Mature, <laughs> rationally, adult human beings, so that always makes you feel better about it. But yeah, I, I'm. I would love to see how this can turn out with Otani in the Home Run Derby. I'm really curious about it. But a lot of people are, you know, kind of. My my thing is there are people that are so hung up with players hitting in the Home Run Derby, but they also want, but they also want pitchers to hit. So it's like either you want them to hit or you don't. Like it's this is one of those things that. If MLB becomes more uniform with what they want to do, then maybe maybe this becomes less polarizing or less confusing of a topic. So
1: Do you, do you think when they bring a universal DH to both leagues that they will not allow the Angels to forego a DH when Otani's pitching I think like they, they have been doing?
0: I think they should allow teams to have the option. They should. If, if their team has a pitcher that they feel is a good enough hitter and they're like, you know what, we don't need a DH. And an MLB should say, you know what, fine, your funeral. Yep. You don't want you don't want one. You can't start if you start the game without one. You can't pick one up later. You just have you just don't have for the rest of the game. Just like when you have a DH in a game now, if you make a decision that forces you to get rid of the DH, once you get rid of it, you're without it for the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. If they forego it, that's one thing. But to be forced to either have one or not have one, I think is a different story.
1: I agree with that. Uh, back to this Degrom topic real quickly. Uh, I've heard a couple of radio hosts in New York because I've, I've been listening to WFAN because I want to hear what the New York what the New York media is saying about this. And some of these guys are calling him soft.
0: What? They're calling him soft. You don't call a guy who can throw a hundred mile an hour fastball soft. They no. Just, that's kind of a rule. If it's not, I just made it up.
1: I I honestly and truly believe that DeGrom is having head game problems. I think it's all in his head, Josh. I don't think he's actually hurt. But I also don't think he's soft. He might be tired. He might be sore. But I don't think he actually has structural damage.
0: Here's the thing that people, I don't think people always really grasp. Every time you throw a baseball that hard and with that kind of force, it's already doing something that's To your arm and to your shoulder that your arm and shoulder were not meant to do. Correct. It's something that your arm and shoulder technically weren't built for. Correct. As far as the kind of of force and damage that's done to your arm. That's why it's so important to have a throwing program, to play long toss. Because basically you're building up your arm and your muscles to withstand that force and that kind of trauma. It's like being a
1: wrestler. Pretty much. You, you need to lift a bunch of stuff so you can pick up the big show whenever you're in a
0: pay-per-view. Exactly. <laughs> you, <laughs> you can't just do it. There's a lot that goes into it. <laughs> yes. So when you have somebody who's been throwing a ball that violently on the, the tendons and the, the joints and ligaments of their arm, and if it has been doing it for a while, you're going to have questions, especially if you're doing it the way he's doing it now. It kind of brings something else up into the discussion. We'll get to that later because there are some other people that are saying, well, I can't pitch as well as I used to because I'm not able to use XYZ. But we'll talk about that later. But for people particularly calling him soft because he's worried about the damage that could be done to his arm because he's doing something that's that violently dangerous to the the parts working in his arm, that just sounds dumb to me. And the people saying it probably haven't done it before, Mm -hmm. which sounds even stupider to me. I'm not going to sit there and call another man soft when he's doing something I've never done. That's dumb.
1: Right, and and it also comes down to the point. Look at the long game. Look at the long term situation. The Mets are four and a half games ahead of everybody of second place team in the East, which was the Phillies. They need to grow him down the stretch more than anything. If if there was a if there was a time for him to rest, it's now. Yes. If he rests for like a month. And he comes back and goes, hey, my arm feels good. I mean, he still has that tendonitis situation. It it didn't just go away. And he's pitching through it. That's another thing that worries me. Mm -hmm. They come out and say that he's got tendinitis, but they just shake it off and say, oh, but he's still going to make his next start. I'm telling you now, if he pitches next week, I'm going to be mad. He should not pitch. He needs time off.
0: This is every sign that is being thrown at them, that if nothing else... Even if you're just skipping him in the rotation once. Now, granted, you mentioned it. The seven games in, in three days and a couple double-headers. Three,
1: three double-headers in seven days. Oh, three
0: Okay, oh, They only
1: worse. have one day off, and it's Thursday.
0: Three double-headers in seven days. That's yeah. insane. Yeah. So that's, you're going to need an arm. You're going to need a couple extra arms because you're playing a lot of games. But. This particular guy means so much more to your team's future than just your average guy coming through the rotation. Exactly. Even if you have to skip him once, or if you push him back a day or two, if you can afford to do that, so maybe he's resting maybe seven days as opposed to four or five, even if you can do that, but give him just a little bit of extra time for that arm to feel better than it did before. If that's the minimum, I'm okay with it. If you want to let him sit a week, two weeks, I'm okay with that, too. Because as much as you want him pitching now, you're also trying to play the long game to be there at the end of the season. August, September, when you're trying to secure either a playoff spot or a division title. You need that guy to make it happen. Or, spoiler alert, it will not happen without Jacob DeGrom. Correct. They need him for this to be possible. So, if anything else, if you have to sit him for a couple days or a week, maybe even a month, I don't care maybe he sits a month and then goes back down to Palm Beach and just lights them back up again on his rehab assignment. I don't know. <laughs> but do the smart thing as far as preserving this guy because regardless of how you feel about him or his career, you need him to do anything remotely successful in this season. So make sure, if nothing else, you do the best thing to secure having that guy on the mound when you need him later on.
1: And the, And the fact that they were trying to just keep pushing him back out there means that they don't see what we're seeing. I agree with you 100%. The long game here is you need to grom down the stretch, especially in the month of September, when you're playing some more when you're playing crucial division games to wrap up the division itself. Right. You already have a lead. Your pitching has been very solid. Your hitting, surprisingly, with a bunch of injuries, has been very solid. And you've been very good at home. You're winning games with tons of injuries right now. And you're trying to push DeGrom to fight through injury. I I just don't get it.
0: I understand the need of maybe keeping him around because you don't want to have another injured player. But you also don't want to have your best available player to be another injured player. It's a thin line. you got to walk. But if I'm the Mets, I'm I'm erring on the side of caution. It just makes more sense that way.
1: And I also think that with Thor and Carrasco not coming anywhere near back to MLB ready the trade deadline has to be pitching for the Mets. Absolutely. They have to add. I, they cannot trot out David Peterson and Joey Lucchese in the middle of August and September and think that they can win a division still. And if, and, and the final thing on this, of course, Zach Wheeler is absolutely killing it in Philly <laughs> and was miserable. They wanted him gone multiple times when he was a Met. Yep. And now he's killing it for the Phillies and shutting out the Dodgers.
0: Like two hit shutouts. Yeah. Like, insane.
1: Where where was that at?
0: <laughs> it's the Mets curse, I know. I, I got nothing. I, know. I got nothing there. All right, let's move on to basketball. Okay. We got a game seven coming up. Nets versus Bucks. Brooklyn and Milwaukee. This is a series. You and I went into this. We were talking about it. And we both felt like, at the time, it was Jersey series to win. Because they had the team that was constructed well enough to do it. And we didn't know if Milwaukee had enough guys to run with Brooklyn. Mm Because if Brooklyn got together and figured it out and started running all cylinders, who was going to stop them? But Milwaukee, we felt, had the more complete team. We both felt like Milwaukee had enough supporting guys around Giannis that if they got hot at the right time, they could make it work. But here's what we saw. We saw some back and forth here. Then... This is without James Harden, by the way, for Brooklyn. We saw back and forth. Then we get to game five, I believe it was, and we find out, wait, the Nets don't have Kyrie Irving because he got hurt in game four. Mm -hmm. So now we're sitting there going, well, Milwaukee's got to win this thing now, right? Because Kevin Durant can't do it by himself. And Harden came
1: back, but he hadn't played since game one, and it was only 12 seconds.
0: And I don't think he was that efficient anyway. Not at all. But Kevin Durant shows up. And I won't say he got it entirely done by himself, but he got a lot of it done by himself he to went, help them win game five. He
1: went mercenary mellow Yes, <laughs> as as Kevin, as hooded Kevin Durant. Yes. He was unreal in that game. He played all 48 minutes. And he needed to. He, they had to play him all 48 minutes. They didn't have anybody else.
0: They knew they were going to need him for all 48 minutes, and he knew that he had to be the best version of himself or they were probably going home. They knew. And, and he, he delivered, to his credit.
1: And Milwaukee, for some reason, didn't put the Defensive Player of the Year on him.
0: I don't know how that's they a They let
1: P.J. Tucker cover
0: him, and Tucker got buried.
1: And then in Game 6, they kept Tucker on him, and he actually did pretty well. But I think Durant got tired.
0: I think part of that, too, is the mental side of it, because P.J. Tucker can, can find a way to kind of get inside your head, and it yes. might have a little bit to do with it, too. But, yeah, I, I agree with you. There was an adjustment that Milwaukee made for Game 5 that didn't really pay off in Game 5, but it did pay off in Game 6. Which makes me wonder, going into Game 7, you know, we now have the possibility of Kevin Durant and James Harden together. But what if, what if they just took a couple games and said, look, Kyrie, the series is tied 2-2. We'll see, you'll miss Game 5. We'll see how things are for Game 6. But if you miss Game 6, hopefully we split one of those two and then we still have you for Game 7 to really bring this thing home. I have this feeling that we have not seen the last of Kyrie Irving. That would be nice if that was (laughs) the situation for the Nets, but I I just have this feeling that he's not done yet.
1: He's got a high ankle sprain, and he's had multiple ankle injuries that have kept him sidelined for a while. My only concern is if they push him back to play in this Game 7, if they push him to play and they win he gets hurt again. Now they're not going to have him for the entire Eastern Conference Finals and possibly NBA Finals.
0: It's one of those things where you either risk putting Kyrie out there and maybe injuring things worse but having a better chance of winning or you got to put all your chips on Kevin Durant. And that's pretty much where you have to ride with. Now Milwaukee, to their credit, did what they needed to do in Game 6 to keep him quiet. So I can't begrudge them for that. But now they're going to Brooklyn. Barkley Center, do we trust Do we trust Milwaukee? Almost in Minnesota. Do we trust Milwaukee?
1: <laughs> no, we don't trust the Timberwolves yeah, on this I,
0: show. <laughs> not in this particular situation, we don't. But do you trust the Bucks in a Game 7 where the Nets possibly don't have, well, not even a possible, they won't have a 100% James Harden, and they probably won't have Kyrie, at least we're not expecting him, but they'll have Kevin Durant hoping to probably repeat what he did in Game 5. But do you have faith in the Bucks actually finishing this series off if it gets to a Game 7? I should say if it gets to, it's already a Game 7, if it gets to where they're facing Kevin Durant pretty much trying to do it again by himself without a lot of help from James Harden and no Kyrie Irving.
1: Here's where I stand on this series. Giannis went from doing really stupid things to doing really smart things and in these last two games, Giannis did everything he possibly could do for them to win, off the ball, on the ball, as a point forward. I mean, he would he would, could play point guard pretty much. But the fact that he was taking three-pointers at the beginning of this series, oh. it was three for 34, I'm like, Giannis, what are you doing? And I think that uh, Coach Budenholzer said something to him because he's been driving the lane Doing the dunks, getting fouled, getting to the free throw line, and being Giannis. That's what worries me about this game. Because the Brooklyn Nets have shown no sign of stopping Giannis when he drives to the basket. They've shown nothing to me. Everybody said Brooklyn can't play defense, Brooklyn can't play defense. Giannis was beating himself by taking these terrible shots. And Brooklyn was like, you can have it. They were literally leaving him wide open three-pointers cuz they knew he couldn't make it. But now he's in full attack mode and they can't stop him.
0: I've always believed that the Lakers' best offense was when LeBron was just storming the lane like a freight train mm-hmm. because you got a guy that's 6-8, he's that big, he's that strong, he's that heavy, he's that solid. You want that guy in the paint, you know, dishing out if not taking in some some punishment in order to help set your offense up. But when he's able to drive like that freight train that he has scored in the paint and then set other guys up, whether it's passes inside the paint or kicking it, to guy, kicking it out to guys behind the arc, that's what makes that offense so good. Giannis with the Bucks is not much different. The only thing I would say is different is that the Bucks have more shooters. And Giannis has the better opportunity to affect the offense by getting it to open guys on the perimeter. But he can do the same thing. Is, does he do it with maybe as much force and as much strength as LeBron? Maybe not. But he could still be that freight train coming through the lane and allowing it to either set him up to score or setting others up to score. When he does that, Milwaukee's a much better team.
1: Agreed. And that's that's why I'm so torn on this final game. I don't know what Harden's going to look like because he hasn't looked great in these first two games he's come back in. I don't know if Kevin Durant has enough left in the tank. I mean, this guy is an animal. He might not be human. He might be part cyborg because – what he did in game five was insane.
0: I said this on uh, another show. It's the Tandemonium po- uh, podcast. Shout out to my buddy, Brian Tan old high school uh, classmate of mine Um, does a-, a show of his own. And we were talking about this series. I said, look, you know, the nets have the opportunity to have Kevin Durant show just exactly what he's made of. And if he can go off and get hot, not many people can pull it off the way Kevin Durant could on the other side of it. The Bucs are running out of excuses to not win this series. Mm-hmm. If they don't win it, who's going to be at fault this time? What's going to be the problem? What's going to be the culprit? Because if you're going through most of a series without James Harden on the front half of the series and without Kyrie Irving on the on the back half, and all you got to do is slow down Kevin Durant or at least try to contain Kevin Durant, with your team and your roster being a lot deeper and healthier from top to bottom, what other excuse do you have for not doing that? Yep. Other than we couldn't stop KD, when clearly you have somebody who can stop KD, or at least once again, slow him down. And you're not even putting him on him, And though. you're not even putting it him on It makes no him. sense. It's completely ridiculous. <laughs> so that's where I am with this. It's like, look, if the if the Nets win this series, I'll be happy for them, and I'll be happy for Kevin Durant, because he probably played out of his mind to make that happen, given the circumstances. But I'm also going to wonder, what's going on in Milwaukee? And why can they not seem to get out of their own way?
1: Uh couldn't agree more. We talked about this in in round 1. You said wake me up when this is over with the Heat and the Bucks because you you were like you said it was going to be very ugly because the Bucks haven't shown up in the playoffs. And you didn't know what to expect. Right. And they come out and win. We go, "Okay, fine." And now the Bucks had a chance, have a chance now to knock off Brooklyn who everybody penciled in as the Eastern Conference champions. At the beginning of the season, oh, yeah. when they found out Durant was coming back, and then they added Harden, it was like game over. The Nets won the East. Yeah, that's it. It's a wrap. So the fact that Milwaukee has forced the Game 7 is good enough for some, but they have to win. They have to win. And they have to run through the rest of the East because uh, Atlanta shouldn't be a threat. They shouldn't.
0: Oh, but somehow they are.
1: And Philly shouldn't be a threat. They shouldn't. I think that Milwaukee on paper has the better team.
0: I don't disagree with you as far as Philly or Atlanta, but somehow Atlanta. Is yeah, just...
1: how is Atlanta a thing?
0: You're giving <laughs> Philly all the problems in the world. I'm loving watching this series, and you know I was so eager to watch the Knicks in Atlanta. Yeah, and it's gotten better than that. This has been fun. So if that were to be that were to be the case against Trey Young and the in the the Atlanta Hawks. Whew. I'd have a ball at that. I'd I'd have a really big ball at that.
1: I'm telling you, man, Sarah Spencer is the good luck charm for the Atlanta Hawks.
0: Shout-out to our friend Sarah Spencer, covering the Atlanta Hawks for the uh, General Constitution down in Atlanta. She's a friend of the show back when we were still doing this on the radio side of things, but uh, I imagine she's having a great time. She had a great lead, I think, after the big comeback. It said, down 26 points, no problem. (laughs) And she got a shout-out for that one, too, which I thought was cool. So Sarah's killing it, covering a team like Atlanta, Who's making some serious noise in the NBA playoffs right now?
1: And we recorded this on Friday, so we don't know what happens with uh, Atlanta and Philly. But if Philly loses, what's their excuse going to be?
0: That's an, that was my next question because we're talking about that with Milwaukee. You got to ask the same question with Philly.
1: Seriously, you have Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid. Now Embiid's knees have been giving out
0: on him, but he, he's
1: still been putting up very good numbers.
0: Right. I, I would, if I had to change one part of that question. I would say, what would Ben Simmons' excuse me? Yeah, well, he, he there's been a few games in this series where Ben Simmons has not really shown up well. He he
1: kind of annoys me. How can you be an NBA player and not have a jump shot? As a point guard, too.
0: It's kind of strange. It's like it's like being a handyman or a contractor not wearing a a work belt. Yeah, it's kind of odd. I I'll, I'll agree with that. He can't hit a free throw either.
1: (laughs) There was a tweet that said, if your life is on the line and Giannis and Ben Simmons are at the free throw line, who would you rather have?
0: Giannis. (laughs) I loved how Magic Johnson tweeted that um, the the Hawks pretty much went hack-a-shack and it worked.
1: Yeah, people on, have been on, doing that for a long time with Ben Simmons. And, ben
0: Simmons, yeah. And that,
1: that just makes me wonder more. How's that not motivate you to work on your free throws more, and more, and more? Because
0: it's obviously not working, and it's costing you ball games. And they can't afford to have that happen because if they get knocked off by a team like Atlanta— who many people probably didn't expect to survive to the second round, much less advance to the third. There's going to be a lot of questions in Philly Mm -hmm. for both Daryl Morey and Doc Rivers, who kind of gets ignored in all this. But just imagine another collapse with a Doc Rivers coached team.
1: Yeah, Doc might be out the door if that happens.
0: How good would that go over? How bad would it go over in Philly? That's another thing worth keeping your eye on.
1: Then uh, the other game, uh, the Clippers and the Jazz they played Friday night, but we record this on Friday night, so we don't know what happened there. But that's another series where what's Utah's excuse going to be if they ended up getting bounced? Because Kawhi Leonard got hurt, mm-hmm. and he's not playing anymore, and Paul George just flat-out outplayed everybody on Utah. Donovan Mitchell straight-up didn't show up in Game 5. He just didn't.
0: Yeah, there was no playoff P for this one. Paul George did his thing.
1: Yeah. So what's Utah's excuse going to be if they
0: lose? They shouldn't have one. They're, they're the number one seed. I can't disagree with that. It, it's, it really does come down to how much more efficient can you be knowing what you have on the other side, and that other team is not at full strength, and they're still ready to come at your throat. They have to be prepared for that, and they have to be ready to, to strike first and take the game to them. But like you said, we're not going to be able to talk about the outcome because that outcome is probably about to take place as we speak right now. So
1: so when we started doing this a couple weeks ago, when the NBA playoffs started, I asked you what your NBA Finals was. We both had the Lakers. Yes. So we were both wrong. Now that we can go back on this,
0: is Phoenix the team to beat in the NBA? It feels like it. It feels like it for a couple different reasons. One, because they've been the most efficient. We saw what they did in four games against Denver. They and against swept the,
1: the Nuggets. <laughs> and the league
0: MVP in Jokic, and they made it look easy. But they're also going to be the healthiest.
1: If the, Chris Paul comes back if healthy. If
0: Chris Paul comes back healthy. But he's going to get time to rest mm-hmm. because we still got to figure, figure out what happens with the Clippers in Utah. Right. So Phoenix will be the hottest team coming in, and they'll be the healthiest. So right now, based on what we've seen so far and who they have available... The Suns right now look like the team to beat. Are they the actual team to beat? We don't know yet, but they haven't given – no one's given any reason for them not to be the team to beat right now. Shout-out to Steve Benko. We talked about it
1: last week, too. You beat a team like the Lakers, it goes a long way. Even if they're the seventh seed, you say, hey, we beat LeBron. That goes a long way, and they showed it with Denver. They didn't fall flat on their faces in any of those
0: games. No one's going to scare Phoenix. Whoever wins the Utah or Clippers series, they are not going to be able to walk up to Phoenix and just say boo. Because it's not going to scare them. Because they've already faced two monsters and slayed both of them. And the second one more brutally than the first one. Mm -hmm. So whoever goes up against it, whether it be uh, Utah or the Clippers, they are going to be facing a team that has absolutely no fear at this point because they've already faced two really good opponents that they probably should not have beaten, and they're going to have even less to lose right now.
1: Who wins Game 7 tonight?
0: It's a good question.
1: I kind of think Milwaukee wins.
0: I would like to hope Milwaukee wins just because I think it makes for a more interesting final if you have Milwaukee and Philly or you have Milwaukee and Atlanta. But I feel like this is the time for Kevin Durant to really prove that he can do it. Because there's been so many people that have been saying, oh, he just jumps other teams just to win rings whatever. He never had to do anything, you know, without help, whatever. If it comes down to this being the one time Kevin Durant has to do it on his own or has to really lead the charge, can he be the Slim Reaper? Can he be the easy money sniper? I'd love to see him do it this time around. I, I'm kind of, I can't believe I'm saying this. I think Brooklyn wins Game Seven. I'm going with the Nets. Okay,
1: I like it. I hope I hope Brooklyn wins.
0: I I want to see the Easy Money Sniper come out. I I want to see Kevin Durant do it.
1: It'll be must-watch television anyway. Oh God, yeah, definitely. Game Game Seven. Oh, this this has this is on TNT. We're gonna have probably Marv Albert. It's gonna be. I think this might be Marv's last game. Wow. Unless he does the Eastern Conference Finals, too. But, yeah, that's a shame,
0: too. That's hard to believe. But Marv,
1: Marv is hanging it up. That guy's a legend.
0: Marv Albert, basketball play-by-play as far as the greatest ever, Marv Albert's on that list. He's mm-hmm. in that pantheon. He's on Mount Rushmore.
1: Oh, yeah, no doubt.
0: If you wanted to tell me Marv Albert, Marv Albert was the goat for basketball play-by-play, I'd have the discussion with you. I'd listen to you talk about it because – He's got a pretty strong case to be made. He's got a pretty ridiculous resume.
1: Sure does. All right, so we have Brooklyn and the Bucks game seven tonight. You like Brooklyn. I like Milwaukee. I
0: don't know why. I, <laughs> I think it's because
1: I don't think they can stop Giannis. Because
0: you should like Milwaukee on paper, just like I should like Milwaukee on paper. And everybody should probably like Milwaukee on paper, just given the circumstances. But I also shouldn't doubt Kevin Durant in a Game 7. That's why I That's why I am where I am right now. Because I, I doubted him in Game 5, and he did it in Game 5, and he's going to be home again with everything on the line, and I think he shows up again. I yeah. think he actually does what he needs to do. I think you've talked me into it. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. I mean, because if Milwaukee comes and do what they did in Game 6, then maybe I look like an idiot, so... I wouldn't, I wouldn't swing back that easily if I were you. I
1: mean, they just got to find a way to stop Giannis, but that's very hard to do. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. Because if Giannis does what we talked about a few moments ago, and they play that offense the way they did in Game 6, They're gonna they, win. they can steamroll Brooklyn in Game 7, even on the road, even being at Barclays. They could do that. So it will come down to, A, can you keep Kevin Durant at least limited or just not let him kill you every time down the floor, and will Giannis be Giannis? That's pretty much what it is.
1: I can't wait to watch it.
0: Yes, nor can I. That'll be fun. And um, I'm actually gonna have to, actually I'm, not, I'm gonna actually have to, have to listen to it because I'll be driving this evening, so I won't be able to actually watch. I'll be listening to it. Oh, you'll get Mark Hester, sir. Mark Hester, on the call. I'm listening on ESPN Radio. Yes, driving to Jersey with my wife and my sons. We'll be with my in laws for Father's Day,
1: dude. This is your first Father's Day as a dad. Happy Father's Day. It is.
0: Thank you. It's it's so strange. It's so weird. If you would have told me a year ago, like, yeah, you're going to be celebrating your first Father's Day as a dad with your own son. And I wouldn't have known how to react. I probably would have cried out of disbelief in and of itself. But it's it's been an amazing journey with everything my wife and I have gone through. Just um, going through the difficulty we had just trying to conceive. Uh, we lost our first pregnancy. And then to get to this one and to carry everything through and to have no serious complications either during the pregnancy. The only complication we had during the birth was that um, he could not be born the natural way because his head was too big, Mm. (laughs) so he couldn't pass through the birth canal. So we had to do an emergency C-section, but even that went well, and everything is good. He's happy. He's healthy. He's huge. I I couldn't be more grateful. I couldn't be more thankful for the way things have gone, and it's— it's going to be an awesome day. I'll probably spend a lot of it reflecting, maybe even crying a little bit and holding this kid and looking at him and going, how in the world did you get here? But it'll be worth it. It'll, that's awesome. Yeah, it'll be it'll be worth that feeling alone. We got to shift over to, we got to talk about baseball, because two things that are happening relatively soon, and it wouldn't be as important for most of the other teams in the league. But both of these events are relative, or and relevant, I should say, for the Pirates. Both the MLB draft and the trade deadline, both approaching in July. So this is something that, and this is kind of wrapped around the all-star break too with the drafts as far as that's concerned. But it does become a very interesting issue because the Pirates are in a position where they have a couple guys, only a couple guys with trade value that's that high. And for me, one of them is Adam Frazier and the other is Richard Rodriguez. These are two guys that I think they can get a suitable return from. And I say that for two reasons. One, Adam Frazier is one of the best hitters in the National League right now. And two, Richard Rodriguez is one of the best relievers and closers in the game right now, at least statistically. So those are two guys that have very high value. And we saw Ben Charrington get, what, five players back from the Padres for Joe, for, for Joe Musgrove? Mm-hmm. So you mean to tell me that the guy who got five guys back from the Padres from for Joe Musgrove and two guys, was it two guys or three guys, they got back for Jameson Tyone? I want to say it was three. I think it was three they got for Jamison and Tyon, And you see what he's doing with the Yankees. Yikes. You mean to tell me he's two highest-profile guys and two highest-value guys he can't get somebody, something back for? I think he can with Frazier, and I definitely think he can with Richard Rodriguez because MLB teams have been doing that for years now, maybe even a couple decades. Building up a closer, having him have this ridiculous value, flipping for a handful of guys because you're not going to keep the closer around.
1: If there's one team that I'd be okay with them trading with, It's Chicago White Sox. Yes. And I'll tell you why. Because the White Sox traded Fernando Tatis Jr. to the Padres.
0: I still think about that, and I'm like, you had that guy? Could you imagine that guy? On that team. On this team right now. (laughs) Like him and Tim Anderson maybe sharing the same middle of the field, or him playing third base on that team? Yeah. What? Well, they have Moncada too.
1: And Moncada's on that team. Like, just... they'd, pu- they'd put like Tim Anderson at like second base, probably. maybe. But
0: like, e- even so, Moncada, Tatis, and Tim Anderson,
1: and Jose Abreu,
0: and Jose Abreu, how do you pitch to that team? And you know who they traded him for? James Shields. How does this guy keep showing up in trades? I... And these are trades you look back at it. You're like, that was probably not the best trade. Remember, you
1: think, you think they're kicking themselves every day they see a Tatis highlight.
0: Remember how James Shields got to Kansas City? Yep. They sent Will Myers to Tampa.
1: They sure did. Who also
0: ended up in San Diego somehow, which is weird. But full circle. Yeah, it really is full circle. Is <laughs> it, it just? It does scare you as far as you know some of the some of the guys you might pass up on, and I think you're right. Remember, um, Nick Madrigal is out for the rest of the season. Their second baseman, right? So, a guy like Adam Frazier probably profiles really well, especially in that ballpark in Chicago. And he's not terrible defensively at second base. So, that's a guy that probably looks a lot better if you're the White Sox. But being in the position the White Sox are, where they're, you know, fighting for one of the best records in the league right now mm-hmm. it's them, Tampa, and a couple other teams. Being in that fight. The Giants are in that conversation. The Giants being so good in the National League after, I thought they would just be terrible. Like, they are totally making me crow right now. But if you're the White Sox, in the position that they're in, you got to make sure, if you're the Pirates, you get every possible piece of return you can. Mm -hmm. That price is going to go up, and it's going to go up by the minute. If I'm Ben Charrington, I want to get everything I could squeeze out of Chicago because this is a guy who might be able to make that Chicago team better and fill a hole that needs to be filled for the rest of the season.
1: I agree with that. So I like, I like Chicago for a fit for Frazier for Rodriguez. Where, where would you, what are you thinking there?
0: Well, the team that acquires him is probably not going to make him a closer. He's probably going to be a bullpen guy, probably a back end arm. So his his value may not be as high because I was thinking about this. Like, if you're looking at teams that are contenders, who need closers, how there are, many are there? Aren't there?
1: many. There yeah. aren't many of them. But bullpen help, the Dodgers could use some of they that. They need some. The Phillies could use some of that.
0: The Mets can use some. The, of
1: the Mets could use some of Mets that. Mets could
0: use some help. Um, I, I I would think Tampa and Boston wouldn't say no. Maybe the Chicago Cubs. The Cubs could use some help. Now the question is do they trade him inside the division? That's another question you ask yourself. Right. But, you know, there's a handful of teams. I wouldn't be surprised if even Oakland came knocking. Richard Rodriguez in Oakland could serve them a lot of benefit because he could do really well in that ballpark. He's already pitching pretty well regardless of where he is now. But Richard Rodriguez with Oakland as his home ballpark becomes even more effective. And Oakland probably can use an arm or two. And don't get me wrong, that bullpen's pretty pretty interesting. And they've always got some very interesting guys. But Richard Rodriguez in Oakland, I look at that and I go, A's have always got some pieces to move around to get what they want. Billy Bean will move the pieces that are necessary to get what he wants.
1: And not have to spend a lot of money. (laughs) And not have to
0: spend a lot of money to do it. And Richard Rodriguez fits that profile perfectly of a guy who does not cost a lot of money. But right now, for what his numbers look like, he's incredibly efficient.
1: We've kind of adopted the A's as like
0: one of our teams. I've I've, I've been an A's admirer, I'll say. So I won't say I was a full-blown fan the entire time. I was a fan of them in, in the 80s. Mm-hmm. That team in the 80s with Conseco and McGuire, yes, I know the steroid era was a thing. But Terry Steinbeck, um Dave Stewart was on that team. They had some pretty solid talent from top to bottom on that team. They were really, really good. So I've kind of kept an eye out since then. Then you transition into the Moneyball era. Oakland A's with Billy Bean being involved in that front office, and I've always had an eye on what they've done and how they've done it. And Billy Bean didn't just stick to one principle. He's been able to adapt and adjust as the years have gone along, so when people think he's doing one thing, he's looking for something else and still finding ways to put good teams together. He's kind of like a Rowdy Roddy Piper. Just when you think they've got the answers, Billy Bean changes the questions.
1: They have one of the lowest payrolls in baseball, and they're in first place in their division. And they're that a, is that is the kind of team that I'll cheer for.
0: If if you're looking at the last 20 years, they've probably spent in the lower third of the league in the last 20 years, and they probably won in the top third of games. That tells you a lot. It does. So them as a trade partner? I'm, I'm okay, okay with that. that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's switch over to the draft here, because this is something, being in the market where the number 1 overall pick is held, this has become so much of a debate, and you you see so many names bandied about, and teams that, I should say players that could be drafted, and we won't go through all of them, but the Jack Leiter and Kamar Rocker debate has been raging strong, and now Henry Davis from Louisville, his name is gets put in there. Then there's the high school kids. There's Lawler and there's Mayor and there's all these names that get tossed around. I still feel, and and this is something that has been kind of confirmed for me. I feel like the Pirates have a really tough decision. They're trying to figure out who really is the best prospect for them in this draft. Because if you're going by best pure prospect in the draft, it's going to be hard to find just one because people have different criteria. So if you're the Pirates, Your number 1 guy needs to be a guy that is a surefire, can't question it. You have to get this right. Because the last time they had a number 1 overall pick, they got it right with Garrett Cole. Mm -hmm. They got that right. So you need to get this one right. And I think the best way to do that is to pick the guy that you think not only is head and shoulders among the crowd, but also fits what you want to do here in your next four to five years. Because that's when this pick is going to pay off the most, probably in four to five years. Do you think it's the catcher? I'm leaning Henry Davis now. I was Jack Leiter. Like, I was on that train most of the season. Me too. Just because people were like, oh, well, he's such he's so short, he's got a smaller frame. Yeah, but he's still throwing 98. There's a lot of guys who aren't necessarily tall that are still throwing pretty hard. Right. Pedro Martinez wasn't that tall, and he could throw quite a bit pretty hard. So I'm not worried about that as far as the athletic part. If anything else... We know if only for genetic purposes, we he's got the arm because his dad pitched 14 years in MLB. We know that. Yes. But that also lends to another reason why I liked Lighter as the possible number one, because I like the mental makeup side. Because you have a guy, a resource, that could help you navigate through pretty much every situation. Al Leiter, decade plus in MLB, won a World Series in Florida, thrown a no-hitter, had an ERA below four most of his career. This is a guy who has done pretty much everything there is to be done in a Major League Baseball uniform standing on the mound. If you have that as a resource, you have an advantage that few guys in this draft have. And if you can take that guy at number one, who not only, besides having all that stuff on the mental side, is also showing the physical capabilities and dominating in the, if not the best, one of the best conferences in college baseball, what else do you want? I say all that to say this: I was a Jack Lighter guy when the season started. Now I'm wondering if Henry Davis is the number one overall pick. <laughs> I'm wondering if he's the guy.
1: I I really want them to get lighter, but I think Davis is going to end up being the pick.
0: And I, I'm wondering if they're thinking this way because the Pirates have to. There's no. There's no two ways about this. They have to get between last year's draft with Gonzalez, this year's draft. And next year's draft, because right now, if the draft for next year was to start tomorrow, they'd have the number three overall pick,
1: which is pretty good.
0: Which is not <laughs> bad at all. They've got to get these three drafts right. They have no choice but to get them right.
1: Have you seen what Indianapolis looks like right now? It's not good.
0: No, it's not. It's so not they
1: need they need to get these guys in out from Altoona to Indianapolis, and then they need to get these guys moving up. Keep on moving them up because hey. what they have in Indy is ugly.
0: And the guys in Greensboro, for that matter, because they got some talent in Single A too. Mm-hmm. Like between the pitchers and that, that Greensboro excuse me that yeah the Greensboro rotation is pretty good. Uh, Piguero's apparently apparently pretty good at shortstop. You got O'Neill Cruz and, and Altuna, who apparently is probably going to make the jump here soon. They have to get that first wave of talent. That has to be the first wave. Then this this collection of draft picks has to be the second wave. They've got to get this right. I keep bringing this up until I see something that can prove me otherwise. I'm going to keep going back with this. Theo Epstein and what he did in Chicago told you everything about how important it is to both get the drafts right and have the good first wave of guys like your Anthony Al your Javi Baez's, and your, your Rizzo's, who was acquired in a trade, but you got to get that part right. And then the Chris Bryants, the Kyle Schwarbers, the Ian Haps. you got to get that part right with your first wave and then your second wave of talent. Because he had five, was it five or six first round picks, all on the same roster at one point. So that shows you, if you do it right and you hit it right, and you develop the guys the way they need to be developed, and they become pieces that are integral to what you're doing, you could have waves of talent that come up and make your team that much better.
1: And I think that they're kind of getting to the point of that first wave. They traded for Reynolds. Yes. And they have Key Brian Hayes. Yes. So now in a couple of years, O'Neal Cruz is going to be that next piece that gets called up. And then you're going to see Gonzalez make his way up in a couple of years. So, you know, I, I don't know if Mitch Keller has anything left as a major league baseball starter. I really don't. So he might be a lost cause and you might have to find somebody else. But right now, what they're putting out on the field and what they're putting out in Indianapolis, it's just not cutting it.
0: Yeah. And, and Having Mitch Keller sent down to Indianapolis and his first work is out of the bullpen. That sounds like a total just tear down, break everything down and start all over. So if that's the case, if that's the approach, you hope it works. Because it's not like Mitch Keller doesn't have talent. Kicking throw 95, he can sit 95 with that fastball. Mm-hmm. So it's not like he doesn't have the arm ability. But do you have to maybe break down what's happening and, and try to recalibrate in between the temples? That's what it sounds like to me.
1: Yeah. He, he's, he doesn't have the confidence.
0: Yeah. With that said, you know, it, it's one of those things where we're, we're not going to find out how this truly shakes out. We need to get the draft for a couple more weeks. But as far as the trade deadline, we're still about a month and a half to figure that out, too. In the meantime, we will take a break and come back. We are playing our favorite news headline game, Is This a Thing? The MLB draft will be one of the subjects. We're going to talk a little bit of football. they we got to get into college football and some basketball kind of crazy we'll see what happens here episode number 19 of the sunday morning grind podcast we'll see you in a second you're listening to the sunday morning grind podcast a show where we talk about sports both on the pittsburgh level locally but also around the sporting world as well we have a little fun with it, by the way, too. You can download the Sunday Morning Grind on iTunes, Google Podcast, Anchor, or Spotify—basically anywhere you get your podcast from. Now, let's get back to the show. You hear the music. That means it's time to get crazy. It's time to play our favorite news headline game, Is This a Thing? Where Greg and I... Now, granted, we've had two weeks to do this. We've had two weeks, right? No, we, we did a show last week. Oh, we did a show last week. Okay, so we had a week. Because we've had sometimes we've alternated back. But this time, we had just a week. Yes. To hear some things, read some things, see some things, and ask ourselves the question, is this worth paying attention to? Is this a thing, or is it... Fake news. I'm confused, and we bounce these things off of each other, and then we bring it to you, our listeners, because it just it's a fun thing to do. It's our favorite news headline game.
1: We haven't had a it's not a thing in a while.
0: We haven't, so maybe today we will. It, there's a, a very good possibility. <laughs> Let's start. We talked about the MLB draft. We talked about Jack Leiter. We talked about Kumar Rocker briefly. FanGraphs had their projections for the top prospects in the draft and where they would fit on the top 100 prospects list in baseball. Jack Leiter, whom Greg and I both have felt at one point or another, should be the Pirates pick at number one. We've both had that opinion. Fangraphs has him projected as the 54th overall prospect after being drafted. Kamar Rocker, not even on the list. My question to you, Greg Kumar Rocker. Not even a projected top one hundred prospect after being drafted in MLB. After being drafted into MLB, is this a thing?
1: It's not a thing for me. I think Kumar Rocker is legit. I think he is the real deal. I think before all this talk about catcher or shortstop or Jack Leiter became a thing this season, it was the Pirates are taking Kumar Rocker at number one. That was the talk all last year. They said Everywhere. They're like, they're really bad right now. They're going to take Kumar, and we love it. And now all of a sudden he's not even in the top 100? What am I missing? His numbers were insane this year. Vanderbilt's in the College World Series. Mm-hmm. And it's because of him and Jack Leiter. So they both should be in the top 100 in my opinion. You so figure.
0: I'm calling bullcrap on this one. I... Now I know the standards that teams look at as far as as drafting guys have changed. I know the standards have changed in the last ten to twenty years. I understand that because it used to be you just looked at the raw physical ability, the the size, the the speed, the strength, the athletic ability. Did they play more than one sport? Uh, how they look, you know, in a uniform, all this stupid stuff. I remember kind of some of that stuff. You know, you don't know want an ugly girlfriend. means? it's no confidence. <laughs> but you know, I know there's a different way that they look at players now. Because there's more of a marriage of, okay, what does the physical trait say and then what do the numbers say? I know there's more of a marriage of those things. I feel like it's not a thing, too, if only because Kumar Rocker seems to be one of those guys where the old school things and the new school things both say the same thing. The numbers tell you how good Kumar Rocker is. The physical traits tell you that Kumar Rocker is, is a prospect that pretty much any team's going to be interested in as a pitcher. Even the repertoire of pitches tell you, hey, he can throw this, he can throw that, he can get swinging strikes with this, he can get guys out. It just seems like the perfect marriage of everything you want. Now, the only thing, and I do mean the only thing for me, does he profile as a starter or a reliever? I feel like he projects more as a reliever just because of the the mindset that he has, and the attitude he has while he pitches. He strikes me as a Craig Kimbrell, um, Kenley Jansen, Mm -hmm. a Chapman. You bring this dude in in the ninth or maybe in the eighth inning, and no one's getting past him. No one.
1: I agree with that.
0: Kind of like Kevin Copps in Arkansas. No one's getting by this guy. I feel like Kamar Rocker could be that kind of pitcher. Does that mean he couldn't be a good starter? No. But I feel like what he is now probably feels more efficient and more terrifying as a bullpen guy. That said, I still feel like he would be a top 100 prospect. So I feel like this isn't
1: the thing. Do you think he takes into account at all that Fangraphs put this out and he's not on it as motivation? Or do you think he doesn't even see it?
0: As pissed off as he gets already on the field for, for smaller stuff. So oh, you think he knows? If he does, I won't I won't say I know if he knows, because we really don't know if he knows. But if he does know, he's filing it away. He's definitely filing it away for later. Yeah. Without question.
1: And we will come back to this whenever he's shoving. And we go, hey, remember oh, when Fangraps didn't have him in the top 100? Because
0: <laughs> I, I expect him and Leiter to take over in Omaha. Like, the fact that Arkansas did not make it to the College World Series, the favorite for me is Vanderbilt. Same. It, that's just where I am right now.
1: Mississippi State's got a pretty good rotation, too. They got the Bednar kid. They got
0: the Bednar kid. <laughs> Which I, I, might be a fun thing to imagine if he were to slip to the second round. That's all I'm saying. Both Bednars on Both the Both Bednars. Just, you know, you can dream a little bit. That'd be pretty cool. Let's stick with baseball here. There has been a lot of discussion in the past week, especially, and you and I talked about this last week. We talked about specifically with Garrett Cole. Who also talked again this week and really did not help his case at all. But that's beside the point. Tyler Glasnow left the game with an injury recently. um, Has been put on the 60-day injured list. It's a partial UCL tear. Um, I think there's another injury on top of that, but I can't remember off the top of my head. But Tyler Glasnow pretty much said no uncertain terms that he feels like this injury was caused. Because he wasn't able to use one of the substances that MLB is not going to let them use anymore. Because they want to use more of a more uniform substance and try to ban other ones that probably haven't been approved. And for all intents and purposes, pretty much saying, yeah, I wasn't allowed to do this. And this is probably the reason why I got hurt. My question, Greg, Tyler Glass now banning the use, uh, blaming the banning of using certain substances for pitchers as the reason why he has a potential season ending history. It, potential season-ending injury. Sleep deprivation is a thing. So I'm going to tell you. But Tyler Glasnow getting hurt and blaming it on not being able to use certain stuff.
1: This is a thing. It's not because he's throwing 100-mile-an-hour every day and throwing curveballs, which can always screw up your arm. True. No, it's not a thing. These guys are just whining because they can't cheat anymore. Shocker, they're not allowed to cheat anymore, Josh, in baseball because cheating was still going on
0: until Rob Manfred cut it out. Hold oh, on a second. Wait, 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 So a game whose history has been steeped in cheating pretty much since its inception now has a revolt of certain players because they're not letting them cheat anymore. Yeah. Interesting.
1: Dude, Garrett Cole came out and said that he had trouble gripping the baseball. He gave up four hits in that start. Shut up.
0: <laughs> Garrett Cole has been gripping and throwing at baseball his entire life. You mean to tell me that throughout his younger years and through high school, where he got drafted out of high school, by the way, and then going to UCLA and being a number one overall pick out of UCLA, you mean to tell me he used the exact same substance to get himself this far in his amateur career, to become a number one overall pick, and then eventually rise to becoming one of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball, because that was the only option he had to do it. No, I refuse to believe that. Correct. I, I I understand that when you're on that side of it, if you if you're on the inside as far as teams and players and front office guys go, I understand that there's a a, a small portion that think fans and media are stupid. I get it. I get it. We we can't do what they do. We haven't been through what they've been through. We haven't seen what they've seen. So there's some level of, well, you don't get it. I understand that. But at the same time, 2-2 two and two is still 4. And if you've been playing this game your entire life, and you've gotten to this point, you you can't make me believe, A, that you suddenly can't do what you've been doing for so long so well to get to this point without having a certain substance. And B, you can't get me to believe that you got here that far because of it. Exactly. And all of a sudden it's been taken away from you. I refuse to believe that. But here's the thing. If he had with the second scenario, let's say he has been using it that entire time. That makes everything up until this point pretty much a lie. Which is what baseball is for. So either way, bad look.
1: Yeah. So no, this isn't a thing. That's the bottom. That's the bottom line. It's a bad look either way.
0: This is not a thing. And... I, I, Here's the thing. Astros players made their, their concerns known when people were making fun of them and playing music about them being cheaters and pictures were throwing at them. You cheated, got caught, and didn't get punished. Uh-huh. It was going to come around sooner or later. MLB is not punishing anybody in the investigation of this. They're not going to punish anybody until they get caught now. Now that they're putting this around the force, they're going to punish you if you get caught. But you didn't get caught up until all this time. You're not allowed to whine now when you didn't get caught before. And they're and they're coming out
1: and saying, I used this before. Like they're they're flat out saying, I cheated. I love but they're how, not but they know they can't get punished.
0: I love how Garrett Cole couldn't come out and say if he used it before, couldn't answer a yes or no question, and now all of a sudden he can't give you enough excuses as to why things didn't go well for him. Because he wasn't able to do what he didn't admit to doing before.
1: Exactly. <laughs> and remember when the Dodgers were in Oakland and they said Trevor Bauer had some s- substance on the baseballs yep. and they were gonna investigate it? Yep. Gee, I wonder what that was. It
0: it's so stupid, Josh. It remember when I told you, there's some element to uh, some some element to a degree where they think we're stupid. And it's just like no. They're stupid. <laughs> They're stupid for thinking we can't figure it out. It's what it is. All right, let's keep this rolling. This is a fun one. College football. Now, this is something that was supposed to be done a year ago, but it didn't happen because of COVID and the season kind of got thrown sideways. But comedian and talk show host Jimmy Kimmel has acquired the rights to put his name on a college bowl, the L.A. Bowl, which was supposed to have its inaugural game in the 2020 season. So now it's going to be in 2021. But securing the rights to that game, the Jimmy Kimmel L.A. Bowl. Is this a thing? Can we please
1: have Guillermo's face at the 50-yard line?
0: Yes. <laughs> or the Guillermo mustache. Or, like, at least in the end zone. Like, I'm cool with that, too. Like, find a way to make Cousin, this work.
1: Cousin Sal, Jimmy Kimmel, and Guillermo. Just get the whole family together. Yeah,
0: put, put Guillermo's mustache <laughs> at the 35-yard line. It's like where you put the put the T the, the to kick the ball off, put it there.
1: Can Jimmy Kimmel and Guillermo please call the game, too?
0: Oh, my God. <laughs> or Guillermo interview the coaches at halftime? Yes. <laughs> put it on ABC and just make this entire spectacle.
1: Now, do we know the, spe- do we know the stipulation of what teams will be in this? I'm I guessing
0: wanna, it's Pac-12. I want to say Pac-12 was one of them. I can't remember the ex- exact specific details, but I know.
1: And it's at SoFi
0: Stadium? And it's at SoFi Stadium.
1: I just, I'm going to have to watch it just to see how ridiculous it gets. I'm totally watching Or it. we're going to get very disappointed because they're not going to implement anything. <laughs> I sat through the
0: Cheez-It Bowl to find out how it ended. I'm going to watch this game. <laughs> as much as I talk about how there's too many bowl games and half of them don't matter and they're not really entertaining, I'm watching this one. I'm watching every minute of this one. Jimmy Kimmel, congratulations. You got my eyeballs. How
1: many plugs does the Jimmy Kimmel Show get for the Jimmy Kimmel Bowl? Oh, Probably in and out of every break. Coming up after the game, it's the Jimmy Kimmel Show. Oh, yeah, because it'll probably he'll probably
0: be live, like, either from outside the bowl game or whatever. It's going to happen. <laughs> totally happen. If it's on a weekday, you better believe it. If it's on a weekend, it'll be a special edition of Jimmy Kimmel Live. Watch. Just watch. That's a thing. It's totally a thing.
1: I'm kind of, I'm kind of like, I shouldn't be that excited about it, but I'm kind of excited
0: about it. it. It might be my favorite bowl game for this upcoming season. I'm not kidding. Like, it'll be, you know, the playoff <laughs> itself, the national championship game the cheese bowl if it comes back and the LA bowl. What,
1: what if Pitt plays in the Jimmy Kimmel bowl?
0: That would be fantastic. <laughs> I don't I don't know if it's possible given the structure of it all, but if they did, that'd be pretty hilarious cuz they probably play a Pac-12 team and probably get like get stopped by like 20, which would make it even more entertaining. <laughs> but yeah.
1: Okay. Uncle Herm versus Pitt at the Jimmy Kimmel bowl. Does it get much better than that? Oh, I'm getting
0: I'm 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 already betting Uncle Herm by two touchdowns. <laughs> Arizona State wins that one probably by fourteen fifteen. Like not even not even thinking twice.
1: If I'm serious, dude, like we should we should pitch the idea to Jimmy Kimmel's crew. Like guys, you need Guillermo's mustache at the thirty-five yard line. Yes. You need Jimmy Kimmel's just face smiling at the fifty yard line. Better yet,
0: better yet, Jimmy Kimmel's face at the fifty yard line. And then Matt Damon's face in the end.
1: Oh, yes. They hate
0: each other. Do it. Like, please do it. Please do it. It will be so worth
1: it. Why aren't we working for them?
0: They should let (laughs) us produce it. They should let us be the executive. Well, not the executive producers, but let us produce this game. And it will be the most entertaining bowl game ever.
1: Yes. And isn't that what the people want? To be entertained?
0: I know I do. (laughs) I have no argument to that. It's a great question. With that said, we need to wrap up because we have run out of time. <laughs> we could talk about bowl games and, and how we should run them forever. But we need to get moving along. We I believe we will be back next week. Okay. We will be back next week. Episode twenty is coming up. We gotta think of a good number for episode twenty. We'll we'll go back and I got one in my really head. Really crunch the numbers. We'll make this one work. In the meantime, for Greg Finley, I'm Josh Taylor. This is the Sunday Morning Grind Podcast, the Bo Bennett episode, episode nineteen. See you next week.